0: Welcome to the Women's Utilities Network One for All podcast, our corner of the world where we'll be talking all things energy, water, sharing personal stories and debating female issues. Enjoy!
1: Hi everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the One for All podcast. I'm Sabrina Polito, one of the advocates at One. And today I am delighted to be joined by Kate Mulvaney, who is a senior consultant at Cornwall Insights. On this episode, we are going to be talking about all things REMA. So to put that into context, on the 18th of July in 2022, the Department of Business, Energy and Industrial Strategy, known as BASE, published a consultation on what is probably the most significant piece of market reform in the last decade. The review of electricity market arrangements, what we are calling in the energy industry, very affectionately as REMA has been published in the context of rising energy prices, the question of energy security and a pressing need to decarbonise in order to meet the UK's net zero obligations. The central vision of REMA is to deliver a fundamental reform of the electricity market arrangements so that they facilitate decarbonisation of the electricity system by 2035, while also ensuring security of supply. Kate has been doing a tonne of thinking and speaking in this space recently, so we are really, really excited to have you talking with us, Kate. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, lovely to be here. Great. So um, Kate, before we dive in, can you tell us a bit about yourself and what you do at Cornwall Insights? Uh, Absolutely. I work at the energy
0: consultancy firm Cornwall Insight. And um, uh, you may have heard of Cornwall from the press, particularly around the domestic price cap. Mm. Or you might work in energy and have received some of our market information products. Um, Before I started at Cornwall, I used to get the daily bulletin, which Mm. contains cross-sector news for about a decade um, Mm. uh, before I actually started. Um, But what I do at Cornwall is consultancy work. So I remember early on in my career, I found consultants slightly mysterious, um, you know, swoop in, look busy, smart, <laughs> uh, a bit like Mary Poppins. and the <laughs> So I thought I'd just explain a bit about what it actually means yeah. being a consultant. Um, I work with a limitless range of people who need to know more about some part of the energy market. And my job is to take the modelling and the forecasting and the market research and policy and regulatory tracking and all of that giant brain thinking that my colleagues produce. And my my role is to make all of that useful for whoever needs the information. And that has been a through line in my career. Um, It's my job to make the data and the insight useful for whatever audience I'm engaging with. So on my best day, I am a bridge between this vast body of smart thinking and real world decision making. Those decisions might be being made by an investor in a proposed wind farm or a supplier who's trying to understand a policy direction or a journalist writing an article. Um, Or more frequently lately, uh, a large energy user like um, an industrial uh, uh, gas or electricity customer Mm -hmm. or a public sector body. I started my career at a corporate at Centrica British Gas, Mm -hmm. and I worked with industrial and commercial customers whilst I was there. And over the last year, I've been developing products um, with colleagues uh, and services for corporates, particularly seeking to decarbonise. It's a really innovative area, and I'm really glad that my career is coming full circle and I'm able to draw on some of those earlier lessons. Mm. Um, more generally, I describe myself as an energy geek. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, uh, I'm passionate about diversity, like I know a lot of uh, members at One are. I've had really amazing opportunities in my career, and I want everyone else to feel the same when they talk about, uh, mm. talk about their jobs. I can't believe the things that I've been allowed to do. And uh, I've loved something about every job I've ever had. Um, Particularly interested in disability and also helping people develop confidence. Um, And I think I was actually at one of the very first ever One events uh, um, uh, several years ago now. I've really enjoyed being a mentor with One. And I got an awful lot through being mentored myself uh, through the One Scheme. Um so uh if anyone ever wanted to get in touch with me, um the Cornwall Insight website has got contact details or people can
1: reach out, send me a message on LinkedIn. That's me. Oh fabulous. What a great introduction, Kate, and what an exciting um career journey you've had as well. Thank you for that. Um so before we get into the nitty-gritty of Rema, can you set out some of the issues in the UK energy markets? that Rima is seeking to address, I guess, just the backdrop in which this has all sort of come about.
0: Absolutely. And you mentioned some of the key ones in your introduction. Mm. And I think nobody could be unaware of the challenges around affordability. Mm. Um, so for gas and electricity, uh, not just in this country, but around the world, there is a there is a real issue with ensuring that um, people in homes and at businesses can actually afford the amount of energy that they need. And uh, I think if you look at other aspects of the electricity system, it's not hard to see areas that could be improved. There are issues that have been identified that are already in place today. Mm-hmm. And if we look at where we think people and behaviours and you know industry, all of that's going to develop, there are likely to be even more problems so, uh, so yes. Yeah, starting with affordability, um, the current market and the current models. So, some of the physical constraints, but also some of the way the the whole system has been designed, maybe aren't uh, aren't adequate to protect um, consumers from uh, exposure to wholesale prices, for example. So, um, looking at the whole of the electricity system, there may be ways to improve it to infor- uh, improve affordability. Also, if you look at how the uh, electricity system was designed, it was a lot of it was designed um, in a time where people probably worked fairly predictable hours. And they probably didn't um, you know deviate much from either a nine to five pattern or a traditional uh, manufacturing shift pattern. Um, and. If we look at how uh, people and businesses operate today, we know that that's really different. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a much wider range of industries in the within within the UK who have different needs for electricity on maybe uh, less less predictable uh, timelines. And if you look at the generation capacity that was developed to support that that way of working, that nine to five way of working, the base load. So that steady electricity generation in the background, that's also uh, the system was also designed for a time when that was maybe made up entirely by nuclear, coal, gas generation and that's a, a predictable or firm way to generate electricity with enough notice you can you can have the generation amount that you need at the time you need it and you can really plan ahead now current electricity system the design of it it really does reflect that older way of um, mm-hmm. a, a country being organized and it it overlaps the challenges around making a more flexible system are going only going to increase as we increase the amount of Uh, low-carbon generation that we see on the system. So the UK's goals to decarbonise, to achieve net zero, and the different uh, targets for 2050, 2035, and even 2030, um, they all depend on a large amount of low-carbon generation being uh, being added to the system. Now, that low-carbon generation is going to include a, a significant amount of intermittent renewables, so things like wind and solar, Um, And although forecasting models for where that generation will will happen is really improving, uh, it's still intermittent. So uh, you don't have that steady baseload amount as well. So there needs to be some elements of the system that can better accommodate that uh, that way of generating electricity that we're dependent upon now. Um, And then finally, I'm going to touch upon security of supply. Mm. Um, Now, this is a whistle-stop tour, but Again, I don't think many listeners will have, uh, will have missed the impact of what's happening in Ukraine on energy prices over the last year or so. Now, that's not the only geopolitical event that's impacting energy prices, but um, it does illustrate the importance for all countries, not just the UK, being able to make sure there's enough generation uh, available, uh, enough ways to keep businesses running, to keep homes warm, even in very turbulent times. So, I don't think you'll find many people who wouldn't recognise the value in uh, reviewing the current arrangements to try and improve affordability, to increase flexibility, to better support low carbon generation um, and also to maintain and improve security of supply going forwards.
1: Great. That's a great summary, Kate. And I think... I guess the overarching point is that the energy system now just isn't really fit for purpose in terms of where we are and where we're heading. You know, we have a more decentralised, electrified energy system now, and that's only going to increase as we um, electrify transport and hopefully heating as well. Um, So there definitely is uh, the case for change. You touched on affordability right at the beginning. And obviously, as we know, the UK government have recently announced support packages for domestic and non-domestic consumers in light of uh, the rise in energy prices. Again, again, against the backdrop of REMA, are we expecting any other interventions um, in that context? And what's the sort of interplay with REMA um, in that regard as well?
0: That's a really good question. And I I think it's important that we we both clarify what REMA is and is not, but also look at what else might be happening at the same time. Um, so REMA is very much focused on that longer-term view. It's a very serious, wide-ranging, um, potentially radical series of proposals that are being weighed up during the current consultation period. But the expectation is the earliest reforms wouldn't take place till the um, mid-part of the decade uh, and potentially longer for some of the more radical reforms. So in terms of delivering those goals we are really looking towards 2030 for some of them to be, for the, some of them to be delivered in, in mm-hmm. full. Now, yeah. uh, the discussions that are going on at the moment, some of the um, some of the options being discussed around the energy industry, and in some cases by government, use some of the similar. Similar options, similar language to what you'll see in REMA, but potentially could be applied in the in the much, much closer um, period than the real near term. So I think when if you're hearing discussion around some kind of intervention or some kind of reform, it is worth just, just checking that everyone's talking about the same period mm-hmm. that... It's not this winter and next winter. Um, REMA is very much that longer term reform. Um, And as you've mentioned, there have already been some interventions, particularly focused on the retail market. So helping bill payers via their supplier Um, and it, uh, although that is is a very substantial intervention, I don't think you can rule out intervention potentially in the generation market or the um, uh, or, or or other elements of the electricity market. Um, if you look at Europe, there have been multi level interventions at yeah. a European level proposed, but also at individual countries. So for now, um, there aren't any other definite plans, um, but it is definitely worth keeping an eye out for any potential. Um, uh, discussions around short-term intervention should they be proposed by the government.
1: Yeah and I guess at the moment the focus has very much been on affordability um, and the impacts to consumers but I guess this crisis really is touching all parts of um, the energy system so it's, it's definitely going to be an interesting area to watch. So let's dive in to Remus. Taking a step back at a high level what are the key areas of the energy sector that REMA is looking at reforming?
0: So, uh, REMA is looking at reforming the electricity wholesale market. Um, and it's also looking at reforming some of those key elements that currently support the wholesale market um, and maintaining that reliability of supply that, that we, we have in this country. So, mm. that would be things like the existing balancing mechanism, existing ancillary services provided via um, the uh, electricity system operator, the current contract for different scheme, that's within scope, um, and also um, the capacity arrangements and the capacity market. Mm. All of that um, is, being, uh, is being considered as part of the proposal. What's outside the scope of REMA is new and unproven technology, so technology that isn't necessarily ready to scale the intention isn't that rema is going to be the the scheme to support that or the method by which that's supported mm-hmm. um the retail market is outside the scope of rema um but it's worth noting that not least because of the supplier hub model that we have in gb where the supplier is the touch point with with yeah. a lot of the industry but also you know so many of these goals are around how consumers feel about energy you know how affordable the energy is, potentially changing the way they use energy. And all of those mean that Although retail market reform is outside the scope of REMA, it doesn't mean it's not going to interact with um, uh, customers, domestic and Mm non-domestic. It it is likely to, um, but the purpose of REMA is not reforming the retail market. Other elements that are out of scope are interconnectors, uh, large-scale nuclear um, and non-electricity markets. So, for example, The gas wholesale market, or the carbon market, or as it may emerge, the hydrogen Mm. market—they're not the focus of REMA, except to the extent where they interact with the electricity market. So, for example, gas wholesale prices are very closely linked to power prices in the current model. So. It's not a complete separation, but the purpose here is not to reform the gas wholesale market, for example, but it will be considered as part of the thinking around REMA. Um, and it is likely to come up, I'm sure, in a few consultation responses.
1: Mm. It's really helpful to draw those lines at the outset. Kate. And I think for anyone who's actually looked at uh, the consultation document, it's very intense and not the most um, digestible. I remember when I was reading, it, I was like, oh my gosh, like absolutely everything is on the table here. Um, so that's really helpful, Kate. So obviously, REMA is structured uh, in terms of these kind of core outcomes. Could you kind of talk us through those and what the reforms are being proposed in each area?
0: Absolutely happy to. And I, I think you've touched on a really important point there, which is the, the scale of what's on uh, under consideration mm-hmm. is really big. And it can be off-putting. I would say, though, if people, if this is an area that um, people have views on or their organization has views on, don't be put off by the fact there are 74 questions. Mm-hmm. Um, it may be that you have an insight or um, uh, you may be able to, to reveal some uh, information or research that is relevant to where you are that is really helpful. So if somebody is is a little bit put off you don't need to understand every section of the document. Um, uh, and I would recommend people have a look and maybe have a look at the overarching questions, um, the first 10 or so questions and see if there are any there that they they can respond to. Uh, but you're right, it is uh, very broad. And some of the ideas that are being proposed are are so innovative, they've actually never been tried in practice. Mm-hmm. Other options are um, maybe have been tried in other territories, but have fundamentally different market features to what you'll find in gb so it's quite hard to imagine how they would work together uh, in terms of the elements that are being considered i would say there are two that have drawn the most attention and these both relate to reform of the wholesale electricity market in the current uh, in the current world there is a, a single wholesale price that's applicable for the uh, for the whole country now that doesn't translate into a single price for customer. Um, and there, there, you know, there are huge amounts of variations. But in terms of location, you would not pay a different amount for electricity, the wholesale electricity, because of where you were located and where the generator was located, with some exceptions, you know, with co-location, things like that. So you are um there is a price for the generation of electricity, and that would be the same wherever you are in the country if you were to if you were to buy that. Yeah. Now there is a locational element to pricing. Um, uh, so for example, uh, network costs, there is a locational element. But the 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 question is, is that signal strong enough through the network costs to reflect the genuine cost of moving electricity around the country? Mm. So as things stand, we have a lot of generation capacity in in the north and offshore Scotland. Great wind generation there, huge, you know, really fantastic place to locate a wind farm. Um, And that has also been, it's been very successful. There's there's very large quantities of generation in Scotland. Um, Now, where the most, the largest number of people are uh, located, where the uh, biggest demand for electricity is is central and southern England. Mm -hmm. So there needs to be a way to transport a lot of electricity from um, Scotland to where, a lot of people live and work, and manufacturing takes place. Um, so there are already some challenges with the current market setup. There are system constraints. Um, uh, there's a, a particular issue at the um, at the boundary, uh, the B6 boundary, um, that some people will will be involved in trying to resolve. But recognizing that there isn't a, a really significant price uh, incentive to encourage generation to be located. Closer to where it's more likely to be used or either have a a pricing element that means that um, the true cost of of moving electricity around can be reflected in the in the price the customer pays. Understanding that has resulted in consideration for a more granular approach to wholesale pricing. So uh, there's lots of information out there about locational marginal Mm -hmm. pricing. Um, And I'm not going to go into the detail here, but just think of instead of there being a single national price, the options around zonal pricing or nodal pricing is that there would be different wholesale prices depending on where the user was located and where the generator was located and different levels of granularity around that and different levels of complexity in running a system in that way. So that's one of the very big ideas um, that is being uh, discussed and proposed in the REMA consultation Mm -hmm. And then the second biggest uh, idea that's really caught people's imagination is the idea of splitting the market by um, technology type. Mm -hmm. So um, there's lots of different ways that could happen. But in all likelihood, there would be a a, a pot of um, firm, more traditional thermal generation technology type. So gas power plants potentially um, with CCUS um, Mm -hmm. and, and ways of generating electricity on demand. And then we'd also have a pot of uh, electricity that would be a separate market that would be probably intermittent renewables. So things like wind and solar Mm -hmm. and that would be treated in a different way to the uh, the other the other market. And that would allow the uh, the link between the the potentially high gas price um, to set the price for renewable energy. And it would also allow for balancing of the system in a slightly different way and more targeted approaches based around maybe carbon abatement rather than um, price or to just allow slightly different treatments for the different technologies. So that's that's another idea that has um, really caught the imagination. I know of people involved in this. Beyond that, there are lots of other options um, around balancing uh, so, you could balance the system nationally or more locally, how uh, the price is, is formulated um, from payers clear to payers bid, um, mm-hmm. how the system is controlled, so how it's dispatched, whether it's um, self dispatch, similar to what we have today, or whether it's mm-hmm. central dispatch. Um, and if there's a more complicated energy system at the end of this, um, it's likely that there would need to be more significant control by a body that had better oversight of all of the information. So individual actors may end up with Less uh, f- fewer options closer to when the energy was delivered. Um uh, that's that's one of the one of the changes that a more complex system could could see. Mm. Um and then below that, there's lots of options around how to incentivize mass low carbon power, um, how to incentivize flexibility, capacity adequacy, um, and also um, really important to Bayes, um, and I think they are doing a good job calling this out, is however ambitious the transition is it has to work during the transition period and it has to be deliverable in a a realistic time scale. If you look at some of the schemes, some of the projects that listeners may have already been involved in uh, around energy, we are great at delivering things quickly. And when there's a complicated IT element, um, and again, energy is not the only industry to be affected by this, but when there's a complicated IT element, sometimes scope shrink happens. And I think Bayes from the outset are very, um, very clear that any proposal has to be realistic and it has to be realistic within these very ambitious Mm timescales. So um, there are, there is still an option for incremental reform, um, and, and sometimes within the, diff- the different subsets of decisions that may need to be made. Um, Bays are looking for views on incremental reform there, but also incremental reform more generally. So there is a possibility that some of the goals that have been set out as part of REMA could be achieved using uh, existing mechanisms or slightly adapted mechanisms, rather than. Very radical reform, which um, something like locational marginal pricing is is likely to to to, to be quite radical. So, um, there is an acknowledgement in the consultation document and talking to lots of stakeholders um, that if if those goals could be achieved using existing mechanisms, potentially sooner. That is also something Bayes is interested to hear views on. So um, although there is, a, a, I think, a really keen appetite to consider these, um, these, these bold options, it's not, uh, it's not at the expense of considering the possibility of incremental reform. So, an awful lot I've skipped over here. And anyone who's familiar with REMA is probably thinking, um, you know, but what about the Dutch subsidy? Or why are we talking about, you know, the capital <laughs> floor for CFDs? Um, I mean, I would love to talk about those. So, if people want to get in touch with me and uh, I mean, chat really, away, I am
1: here. I have a whole dedicated podcast just on REMA to cover absolutely everything in there. But that has been um, a really great sort of whistle stop tour of the key proposals and, I guess, the key talking points. And the proposals around uh, reform of the wholesale market in particular are as you say quite radical but also just going through the document there's just so many questions I mean it's there, there's detail but not enough detail really I think to really take a view on how this would work in practice And I mean from your experience how 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 are people been reacting to this in the industry I mean is it seen as something quite welcomed or um, are people more sort of favoring the incremental change I mean what what are you seeing? Um, so this is
0: this is unprecedented levels of interest. I've been involved in market design for over a decade, and it is normally me and other uh, massive geeks in the corner talking unbelievably uh, detailed and technical language to each other, getting overly excited, whilst everyone else is just trying to get on with you know keeping keeping everything running in the meantime this has cut through already in a very significant way. and I think that that's of course because energy is such a you know it's a hot topic because it really matters. you know this is this is the lifeblood of the country. this is people's well-being. this is businesses' ability to thrive um you know this is this is security of, of of the nation. this is very important stuff. So I think the understanding and the the appetite to be engaged in something so significant is is really there. We've been working at Cornwall with um, with a really wide range of stakeholders, mm-hmm. all equally interested, um, and that's from generators to um, suppliers, but also uh, larger energy users who really want to understand what this might mean to them, particularly around the locational element. Yeah. Um, tr- and as you say, unfortunately, the detail is not going to, it's not possible at um, this stage um, to do the the kind of the kind of modelling that we'd normally approach with one of these to work out who winners and losers are. There are so many possible variables. Um, And there are some options that you can combine between some of the decisions. And there are others that are quite exclusive and and really just require one particular outcome once a a key decision's been made. So I think in terms of of engagement, it's very high. But along with that has come uh, the first wave of concern. So, Bays are very clear that they need to prioritise maintaining and building investor confidence for the mass low-carbon rollout. Um, there has to be a really, uh, a really healthy, strong investor base looking to put money into the, into the UK and into renewable technologies. Now, um, in lots of ways, that market is is currently really healthy. Uh, it does need to be, of course, scaled up to meet some of these ambitions. But there's a really active investor base and a lot of them are, are worried they're worried that the period of uncertainty that could happen during this window is is just going to mean it's not possible for them to um uh to to carry on with their plans to 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 build the generation assets the wind farms the the batteries that they had they had scheduled for the next few years and the longer the uncertainty goes on uh, around some of the key decisions, the the more harmful it could be. And that's in direct opposition to one of Bay's main goals, which, as I say, is to really get a, a great environment for investors to mm-hmm. to put their money put their money into renewable assets in GB. And and I think we've got to remember as well, it's a, it's a global world, and an awful lot of these investors. It's it's not just about stability of um, the UK uh, energy market and regulatory market. It is also about the broader concerns about the UK economy. So this all goes hand in hand. Um, It's not possible to achieve the outcomes of REMA just purely through the the ambitions of the uh, the energy industry, however hard they work. It's worth remembering that there are these knock-on effects as i mentioned the investor community being very mobile and global and um, but also things like planning reform um you know to scale up the amount of generation technology required or um, b- battery assets to support flexibility and generation um it, those things require um in all likelihood a different kind of planning uh, approach than the one we see today uh, it isn't um, it isn't just about and planning reform in the you know in the property sense in you know engaging with the uh, um, you know local planning rules as well as national planning rules. There's also challenges around um, uh, you know connections to the grid, how parties engage with networks, um, and so a lot of things need to change um, beyond what is described in REMA for for, for the uh, very ambitious goals to be achieved. Personally, I think I think it is achievable. I think the uh, it's very complicated it's going to involve some um, very very tough decisions and unfortunately there will be some parties who end up in a worse with with worse prospects than they have today Um, uh, and I think that there has to be recognition that that different people will need support and that could be even different customers ultimately need support in different ways I do think it's possible what's been set out and um, I'm really looking forward to helping usher in whatever's coming next
1: it's an equally exciting and uncertain time as well. And I think the devil is really going to be um in the detail. I mean, we're already having clients approach us as lawyers. Oh, you know, how can we future proof our contracts to deal with whatever comes as a result of REMA? I mean, if we do have locational pricing, that may make some projects which are at the very sort of early development stage just completely uneconomic. Like it, it's going to have such a far-reaching impact. But at this stage, it's just so hard to tell what that impact may be. So, Kate, you've touched on this already, but I'm really keen to know, so what are your thoughts on REMA as an energy sector expert? Do you think it goes far enough to achieve its objectives? What do you think are the most transformative and or positive reforms being proposed? And is there anything you think, oh, I'm not sure why that's in there? Or Are there any gaps? What do you make of it?
0: It's it's a really interesting one because all of the conversations we're having around RIMA, um, they are people are excited about the potential, but also cautious about the disruption. And I, and I'm the same. There is there is so much here that is it's fantastic. It's on the table and it's being considered. I think we've got to acknowledge that. The piecemeal or just kind of shuffling along is going to cause real harm to the country and to and to people. Uh, you know, the, the, the actual status quo is not suitable. Um, that's not to say that incremental reform wouldn't work. You know, but actually, just kind of putting our heads in the sand and pretending everything's okay. It's not okay at the moment. You know the the market design has not shielded people and businesses from those very high wholesale prices. Mm. You know, the the amount of constraint challenges there are, and um, talk to businesses all the time who would love to expand, and they are they they can't because they have to wait for um, system upgrades uh, upgrades in the location they're in. You know we're already in this this not optimal position, and then if you add those additional challenges as there's a there's an increase in low carbon generation, as um, as the turmoil we're seeing geopolitically is it feels less and less likely to be swiftly resolved. All of those challenges mean that that this is a really important thing we consider. Mm. Um, so yes, I think it is. It does go far enough. And I I applaud Bayes for being bold in their approach. Uh, I don't think that's an easy thing to do. Um, And then as we've touched upon, at the moment, it's really hard to work out what is going to be a good outcome and a bad outcome um, for all system users, for investors, for customers. So we need a credible model and we need it to be able to work out how is this going to work in reality because some of those nuances might mean that um for example you know if 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 locational marginal pricing if that really granular approach to wholesale prices if that was something that was was going to deliver great benefits um that means that people's views on things like contracts for difference the scheme that's, that's already uh, um, subsidized or supported a huge range of um generation technology and um, mm-hmm. It, that would have to look really different so they didn't counteract each other. So some of those headline decisions, if they can be made sooner, will allow people to respond and gradually transform their approach, their, their, their business models where necessary. Um, but it would allow a gradual transformation rather than a, you know, a chaotic tear. Um. And I think that the opportunity for things like demand side response, both domestic and non domestic customers, they are that there's real potential there. But what that looks like is going to be really different depending on those market signals that we've been talking about. So even, even if we're trying to do something quite transformational on a behavioral end, we need to know what, what customers are going to be working with. So I'm really, really pleased to see the scope. I really want to have some, some of those key decisions made as soon as possible um, to allow the market to have a, a, a gradual um, transition um, and a healthy transition without with as few losers as possible um, and also to really maintain that investor confidence piece. Um, and again, I know Bayes already know how critical it is to keep uh, investors involved and engaged. Um, uh, so I I think the signals are there this is going to be a – Uh, a useful and worthwhile programme. I would encourage everyone to stay engaged uh, and and look out for news and decision points. There may be further consultations. um, And even if you think your your insight is not useful, I I think it really could be, and I'd strongly encourage you to share it. Some things that are obvious to us when we've been working on a problem or a topic for a long time, they're, they're brand new information to someone who isn't as familiar. So really think about... Uh, engaging with this process as it continues. So overall, um, uh, I'm personally really pleased to see the scope. Um, uh, There are downsides to the scope being so broad. Not least, reform programmes like this sometimes suck all of the air out of the room and everything else grinds to a halt. So yeah, sorry. Let's not make the mistake of thinking that um, it's not worth making improvements in 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 uh, in the next in the next few months and years. It absolutely is, um, particularly where they deliver a benefit for the customer. So yes, overall, I'm really pleased with how uh, I'm really pleased with the scope. I think there are things to be aware of. Uh, we don't want it to drag on longer than it needs to, and it will be really helpful if some of those key decisions can be made early. So uh, that's those are my views.
1: Great. I think that's very well put, Kate. Um, and yeah, the point that you make, it's a fantastic and really transformative opportunity to get us to a point where we have an energy system that's really fit for purpose, that puts us on the right track to net zero, that delivers, well, delivers insofar as possible on all those kind of key energy trilemma points. You know, how do we make sure energy is affordable, secure and low carbon? It's a really fantastic opportunity and it's one that needs as many people involved in the conversation um, and the progress as much as possible. So thank you so much. Um, and thank you for talking us through REMA and making it understandable and digestible. You have such a wonderful way of um presenting information, but putting it all into context, like it's definitely given me um a much clearer. And practical understanding of what REMA means. And I'm sure our listeners are going to find that as well. So thank you so very much, Kate. You're very welcome. This has been a wonderful chat. Thanks for inviting me.